morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington. Today is Thursday, April the 28th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. The World Health Organization says that it has started an Ebola vaccination campaign to curb an outbreak of the deadly disease in the DRC's northwest city of Mbandaka. When we are very confident that the source has been identified, we can say that, okay, uh, we have all the chain of transmission and then we can be uh, uh, more confident. Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni has promised to help Mozambique, including extending military aid as it battles an Islamist insurgency. We, we could have deployed uh, troops to Mozambique when this problem was started, but we don't believe in the symbolism just to go and show that Uganda is there. Because we are busy with Somalia and we are now in the Congo. And Mali's military government has accused France of spying after the French military released drone video of what it said were Russian mercenaries staging a mass grave near a military base the French handed back to Mali. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. In for our top story, the World Health Organization says that it has started an Ebola vaccination campaign to curb an outbreak of the deadly disease in the DRC's northwest city of Mbandaka. Two people are known to have died so far in the city of over one million inhabitants as the country fights to contain its 14th outbreak. The WHO says that around 200 doses of the RVSV Zbob Ebola vaccine have been shipped to Mbandaka from the eastern city of Goma, with more to be delivered in coming days. So far, 233 contacts have been identified and are being monitored. Dr. Mori Keita is the WHO incident manager from the DRC's capital, Kinshasa. He tells me that his team has already vaccinated 78 contacts and is working hard to identify the source of this latest outbreak. Which areas are you focusing on as you embark on this Ebola vaccination process? Okay, thank you so much for your question. Uh, let me just... Uh... Recall that uh, um, with the support of WHO, uh, 200 doses uh, of Merck uh, vaccine uh, have been uh, received in Bandaka. Bandaka is uh, uh, the city where the cases uh, were reported, and uh, we are going to focus vaccination uh, in this area. So these vaccines are stored uh, in a kind of uh, ultra cold chain, a mobile ultra cold chain at a temperature of minus uh, 70 degrees. So uh, in terms of uh, capacities, uh, we have already um, trained uh, four vaccination team in Bandaka. And today, uh, the vaccination started. Uh, three vaccination sites uh, were functional. Uh, two in Bandaka, where we are reporting cases. And uh, one in Wangata, Wangata where the Ebola treatment center is there. Is this the first time the WHO is carrying out uh, Ebola vaccination drives in that region? No, it's not the first time. You know, just to remind, to, to recall uh, also that uh, uh, WHO was supporting the development of this vaccine since the beginning uh, in Guinea uh, and uh, in the previous outbreak uh, in the DRC from uh, 20, 
14. So now uh, the vaccine uh, is uh, licensed and uh, approved by uh, FDA. Uh, so uh, WHO uh, is continuing to support uh, countries to roll out uh, uh, vaccination uh, in any uh, outbreak situation. Mm. Now, is there a concern that the outbreak might be more widespread than you're able to know right now? So far, we have only uh, two uh, confirmed cases, but also we have uh, uh, listed uh, 233 uh, contacts. So I I cannot say that uh, uh, the outbreak will be controlled uh, quickly, uh, of course, I'm confident because we have some capacities. This is the third uh, outbreak over the last uh, two years in the same area. So we have built some ca- local capacities. And uh, if you can remember uh, this uh, case, the first case was uh, detected by uh, the regional, the provincial laboratory. So they have capacities to detect. They have capacity. They have also uh, Ebola treatment centers. We are just going to closely working with the local government to to fill some gaps and to be able to quickly control this outbreak. I'm confident that maybe uh, we will be able to control uh, in a few weeks, but it depends. In-depth epidemiological investigations are ongoing to identify the source of this contamination. When we are very confident that uh, the source has been identified, we can say that, okay, uh, we have all the chain of transmission, and then we can be uh, uh, more confident. And have you been able to identify which kind of strain this is? Is this the same as the one in Guinea? Yeah, the first uh, uh, sequencing result revealed that uh, uh, this uh, new epidemic is a uh, a new spillover of the virus. So it's not linked to the previous one. So it's a, a new uh, epidemic. That is Dr. Mori Keita. He's the WHO incident manager in Bandaka. Arrest him in Kinshasa. Mali's military government has accused France of spying after the French military released drone video of what it said were Russian mercenaries staging a mass grave near a military base the French handed back to Mali. Ani Rizenbach reports from Bamako. Mali's military government on Tuesday night accused France of spying and deliberately violating its airspace in the latest tension between the junta and the former colonial power. Speaking on ORTM State TV, military spokesman Colonel Abdoulaye Maiga said France violated the government's order to get permission for all flights over Mali. In the video posted on the station's Facebook page, Colonel Maiga said there were 50 cases of deliberate violation of Malian airspace by foreign aircraft, mainly French forces. The vol d'avion de renseignement et de drone He says these include intelligence-gathering flights and drones flying at high altitudes to engage in activities considered spying, intimidation, and subversion. Maiga cited a French drone flight over Mali's Gossi military base on April 20th that he said was illegal. French forces handed the Gossi military base to the Malian army on April 19th. Last week, France released drone footage of what it said were Russian mercenaries burying bodies near the base to stage a mass grave to be blamed on French troops. Mali's army on Friday said it found the mass grave on their arrival at the base so its forces could not be blamed for it. Colonel Michael's statement on state TV did not mention any Russian mercenaries, but claimed that France released the drone footage to tarnish the image of Mali's army. 
Earlier Tuesday, Mali's military said it would investigate the mass grave. News of the grave near the base first emerged after a Twitter account called Dia Diara posted a video alleging that the French had left the grave when they withdrew. The account, which had a profile photo taken from a Russian social media website, VK, and has since been deleted, claimed to be that of a Malian veteran and patriot. The French military had been gradually withdrawing its troops from Mali since sending them in 2012 to help fight against Islamist militants. But tensions with Mali's military since a 2020 coup led France in February to announce it would pull all troops from its former colony. France and several other countries have accused Mali of working with the Kremlin-linked Wagner Group of Russian mercenaries. UN experts accuse fighters with the Wagner Group of committing abuses where they operate, such as the Central African Republic, Libya, Syria, and Ukraine. The Malian and Russian governments have denied having any deal with mercenaries, with Mali citing only official Russian military trainers who are helping in the fight against Islamist militants in the region. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. Mozambique's President Philippe Nyusi is in Uganda on a three-day official visit. President Nyusi on Wednesday met his Ugandan counterpart, President Yoweri Museveni, to discuss bilateral relations, including the fight to combat terrorism and acts of violent extremism in the southern African country. Speaking through an interpreter, President Nyusi said that Museveni had assured him of help in the fight against insurgents in his country. And your question was that whether Mozambique would be willing to accept any military support from Uganda. And what my answer is very straightforward, and President Museveni is quite aware of that, because he was one of the first presidents that I briefed on the situation of Mozambique uh, on the, at the sidelines of the African Union uh, Assembly in Addis Ababa. Uganda is already supporting Mozambique in a very profound manner, uh, logistically, and what we've come to Uganda to say is to express our gratitude to our sisters and brothers from Uganda for this support. President Museveni has had a history with Mozambique, having had his forces trained there in the 70s before he waged a guerrilla warfare that brought him to power in 1986. Museveni promised that he will help Mozambique, including extending military aid. What we decided to do for now was to, to send materials. This is what his excellency was talking about. And I'm told the problem is being solved. But if it is not solved, uh, for, for some reason, uh, uh, and we have uh, quietened the issue in the Congo, which we should not want to stay there forever, then we, have, we shall have to deploy a big force there, not, not, not uh, a small force. <laughs> we shall have to, like we have deployed in, 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 in Congo, uh, a big force which can make an impact, not just to go there to, to appear. Uh, so, materials for now, but manpower if necessary, but in, in enough numbers, not, not, uh, not symbolism. That is Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni 
Currently, Rwanda is the only East African nation that has already deployed up to 1,000 of its forces in Mozambique. Rwanda's defense forces have been praised for helping drive insurgents out of the town of Mokimbao de Praia that is located in the northern part of Mozambique. Debrick Africa continues. Internet search giant Google announced this month that it is opening its first product development center in Africa to be based in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The California-based firm plans to invest $1 billion in the next five years to target the continent's fast-growing online market. Mohamed Yusuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi. California-based Google wants to get a bigger share of Africa's growing online population which is expected to top $800 million by 2030. The company is setting up a product development centre in Nairobi that is scheduled to open next year and will employ more than 100 people. Charles Morita is the head of government affairs and public policy for sub-Saharan Africa at Google. He says the investment will create many opportunities within Africa's tech sector. The, the product development centre is going to be one that works to create transformative products and services um, for people right here on the continent, as well as creating products for the rest of the world. And so the announcement last week was really just a kickoff uh, in terms of the hiring process uh, for the people that are going to be working in this product development center for Africa. And that will include um, roles such as uh, product managers, UX designers and researchers, as well as engineers. And this are really just the starting point of the work that we're going to be doing. He says the investment will create many opportunities within Africa's tech sector. The multinational technology company said its mission is to make the world's information universally accessible and create a product that works well for Africans. Bitange Demo is a former principal secretary of Kenya's Information, Communication and Technology Ministry. He says the government needs to train more of its youth to benefit from the Google Center. I think it's a wonderful investment in the sense that uh, it's going to help uh, to reduce the problem of unemployment in this country. But what tells the Kenyan government is that they must begin to invest in uh, skilling and reskilling young people so that they can meet they can meet the demand. Already, the demand for such skills exceeds supply locally. Google has trained over 80,000 certified developers from Africa in the past few years. The firm is investing $1 billion in projects over the next five years to help with the development of Africa internet economy. Murito says the investment will transform Africa. It's the opportunity around creating products that work best for Africans at large. And therefore, whether you're thinking about products uh, on financial inclusion or other sectors of economy, we believe that by having a product development center right here on the continent, we'll be able to know firsthand what the challenges are and also be able to create um, products that will service and, and, and solve for some of those challenges. Microsoft has also invested in Kenya, hiring hundreds of engineers from the East African nation. The content comes with its own challenges for businesses because some countries lack good governance and the rule of law, and that creates an uncertain environment for investments. Some nations have turned off the internet to silence their citizens.
Murito says his organization works with African governments to encourage innovation and develop policies that will sustain innovation. Mohamed Yusuf for VOA News, Nairobi. The Private Equity and Venture Capital Association says that Africa has attracted a record $7.4 billion in private capital in 2021, more than double the year before. But while the continent provides ample possibilities for investors, it also presents challenges from instability to climate change. At this year's AVCA conference in Senegal, investors discussed some of the trends. Nika Hamschlag reports from Dakar. More than 500 people from some 50 countries filtered in and out of conference rooms at Dakar's Radisson Hotel Tuesday for day two of AVCA's annual gathering. Africa offers a rich environment for local and international investors, attendees say, as it has a growing youth population and consumer market. Alexia Alexandra Poole is a research manager at AVCA. She said investor interest in the continent has been largely driven by the attraction of financial technology companies. A number of sizable infrastructure deals also contributed to investment growth. And these infrastructure investments were focused on renewable energy, transportation, communication services, and they support African governments to fill the infrastructure gap on the continent. Yeah, and we expect to see more these trends to continue in the years to come. Some African governments, such as Senegal's, have successfully attracted international investment in recent years. In 2019, it became the second African country to pass a Startup Act, which eases regulations and provides tax breaks to innovative new businesses. Venture capital activity here comprised 80% of total reported deals in 2021, up from 6% between 2016 and 2020, according to AVCA. But investing in African companies also comes with challenges, investors say, including currency volatility, small national economies, limited access to finance and banking services, and political unrest. Walid Sharif is the managing director of Blue Peak Private Capital. If you have a long-term view and if you're well diversified, you can obviously overcome those issues. From outside, you read the news or you think it's scary, it's difficult, but at the end of the day, there's so many opportunities on the ground, so many great businesses. Then as long as you put the tools with them and give them a lot of assistance and support, you can definitely help them become strong businesses. Climate change is another major hindrance. Sub-Saharan Africa is expected to suffer disproportionately from extreme weather events, such as floods and drought. This is disruptive to businesses, particularly those in the agricultural sector. Some investors have begun setting climate goals. Clarissa DeFranco is the managing director of British International Investment. Last year, her company set a goal of having 30% of their investments dedicated toward addressing climate change. They will have to have the specific mandate of addressing climate from a resilience, uh, adaptation or mitigation point of view. How do we achieve that from a new commitment point of view, but also from a portfolio point of view, is something that we need to explore a bit more. Potential investments might include the renewable energy and plantation sectors, she said. The AVCA conference continues in Dakar through Friday. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. Environmental group warns the war in Ethiopia's Tigray region is driving deforestation. It says blockades limiting fuel and aid to the region have forced Tigrayans to chop down trees worsening food shortages in a region the UN says is already at risk of famine. 
Henry Wilkins reports from Kombolcha in Ethiopia. Tigray has been under a de facto humanitarian blockade for more than nine months now, with Ethiopian government forces and rebels accusing each other of preventing aid from reaching the war-torn region. The UN says one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world is taking place inside Tigray, with an acute lack of food. Ordinary Tigrayans are said to be desperate to find resources for day-to-day living. A report by the UK-based non-profit group The Conflict and Environment Observatory says the war and lack of aid in Tigray is having a serious impact on the environment that could cause problems for Tigrayans for decades. By analysing satellite images in Tigray, the report concludes conflict-driven deforestation is happening at an alarming rate. Trees play a major role in conserving soil and water to produce food. Aid agencies have warned that parts of Tigray are already close to famine. Henrik Schultz is the author of the report and a conservation scientist at the Zoological Society of London. She says conflict-driven deforestation usually happens for two reasons. One is the breakdown of environmental governance. So, for instance, if in a war zone, protected areas are no longer effectively protected and people can move in and remove vegetation, deforestation can also occur as a result of increases in demand for forest resources. Raphael Adu is the African Programme Manager at the Environmental Investigation Agency, a Washington-based non-profit group. He says rebel groups in Africa frequently turn to logging as a source of funding. Conflicts and deforestation represent one of the great threats to the sustainable development in Africa. Illegal logging, which is one of the ways to get quickly money. As the forest has become the source for the rebels to buy weapons, they always cut the tree from the forest. He adds that anywhere there's a conflict, very high rates of deforestation emerge too. In recent years, there's been a successful effort to rebuild forests in Tigray to assist development and the economy, as well as food security. The report says the effort is now facing a setback. However, the people in Tigray may be more concerned about survival in the short term. The UN says 9.4 million people in the north of Ethiopia, including Tigray and parts of the neighbouring Afar and Amhara regions, require humanitarian aid. Schultz says that the best way to stop the deforestation is to stop the conflict. But even then, the environmental damage will take decades to undo. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Kambolcha, Ethiopia. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit us at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube, where you can watch our videos. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA. Next up, we feature a conversation with Congressman Michael Waltz, a Republican from the state of Florida, about his views on U.S. foreign policy and a Q&A between my Ukrainian colleague, Tatiana Voroshko, and renowned historian and author Anne Applebaum about her recent meeting in Kiev with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. 
Sakloti on the next Straight Talk Africa. I have an exclusive conversation with Yuwari Museveni, the president of Uganda for over three decades. We discuss democracy, security, and stability in Africa, and lots more. Yuwari Museveni, in his own words, Wednesday on Straight Talk Africa at 18.30 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next, what is the impact of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine on Latin America? Can Washington capitalize on Moscow's malign actions and help strengthen democracies in the region? And why has the immigration debate in America been reduced to two Trump-era border policies, which the Biden administration would like to phase out? Two Latin American experts analyze this and more. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday.